Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you. From the land of Jordan and Mount Hermon, Mizar, deep calls to to deep at the roar of your waterfall. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down on my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Chapter 43, vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill, to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O God my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Father, we ask that as we come into this psalm, into these two psalms, we pray that you would encourage us in your truth. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Christians are not immune to feelings of sadness, melancholy, despair, and depression. Charles Spurgeon, the so-called prince of preachers, according to his biographer, suffered with ongoing bouts of severe despair. Partly it was due to gout, an illness that he had. Partly it was was due to a bunch of other stuff. His biographer said this about him. He said, what he suffered during, during those times of darkness, we may not know. There are dungeons beneath castles of despair. John Bunyan, the great pastor and author of Pilgrim's Progress, when he was in his 20s, suffered with great and terrible times of depression. John Bunyan said this, he said, A whole flood of blasphemies, both against God, Christ, and the Scriptures, were poured upon my spirit. Oh, no one knows the terror of those days but myself. I want to talk to you today on the theme, spiritual depression. Spiritual depression. Do you know the terror of darkness? Despair, sadness, and even depression. Spiritual depression. I'm borrowing that title from a series that Martin Lloyd-Jones preached back in the early 1950s, entitled entitled Spiritual Depression, from these two psalms. And we're beginning a new series 
in these two psalms for the next three or four weeks. Psalm 42 and Psalm 43. The series is entitled, The Downcast Soul. Title for verse 5. These two psalms together kind of make one big point. If you look at the psalms, you'll notice at the beginning of 42, there's a title over verse chapter 42, and there is no title over chapter 43. Traditionally, people believe that these two psalms went together, uh, sort of like twin towers, if you would, of, of hope in an island of despair. The downcast soul. That's really the theme of these two chapters. What are we talking about in particular? What these chapters are talking about is depression. Look at verse 5. Why are you cast down? That word cast down literally means to be forced downward. The Holman Christian Standard Bible just simply translates that. Why are you depressed? Oh my soul. Another translation could be that of despair. Why are you in such despair? Oh my soul. My goal over the next couple weeks as we examine and sort of like just, just float in these chapters and get out, uh, as, as much out of these chapters as we possibly can, my goal is that for those of you who are uh, in darkness, in despair, discouraged, uh, dealing with sadness, maybe off and on, or even depression, my, my goal is that you would be strengthened and encouraged and edified and equipped and that you would know what your ultimate remedy is. Now I say ultimate remedy because I don't want to insinuate that medicine is not a short-term helpful remedy. Martin Lloyd-Jones, as he was preaching this, these, these psalms himself in the 1950s, he himself was a medical doctor that became a pastor. And so as he's beginning his own series on this, he made sure to mention the fact that sometimes medicine can help. Uh, sometimes an antidepressant can be helpful. Uh, there, there, there is such a thing as, as pathological depression where you might need to see a physician and, and, and you know, a, a good physician and, uh, and get some medical attention. Amen, Lydia? Or other medical professionals in the room? Amen? At the same time, let me say this. I want to kind of be careful here. At the same time, we live in a culture in which people pop antidepressants like candy. As soon as I feel down, as soon as I feel sad, there must be something wrong with me. There must be something wrong with my head, and so I'm going to go, and I'm going to immediately jump to, uh, to medicine. So I'm saying my, your ultimate remedy, meaning your hope, and I hope all the medical professionals in the room would agree with this and say amen, your hope is not in a pill. Does that make sense? The pill might get you thinking straight enough to where you can remind yourself of what your hope is, but your hope is not in the pill. You guys tracking with me? So we're talking then about your ultimate remedy. And that is the goal of 
this, this series. Because what you believe about who you are, where you are, where you're going, and where you're going to be really does affect the way you think about today. It really does affect the way that you feel. So why is this psalmist so sad? Well, we're not really told. I think probably in God's sovereignty, we weren't actually told what's going on. There's speculation. It could be David that wrote it during a time of exile. There's some speculation, but we're not really told why. I think it's because the reasons for sadness, the reasons for despair, I'm going to tie my shoe while I talk to you, the reasons for despair, I'm going to double knot it. What my kids do. Thank you. The reason for sadness and despair are so diverse and, and they can be so broad uh, that I, I, don't think, I don't think the why is really the important question. But what we do see in this chapter, though, are uh, symptoms, if you would. So, what are some of his symptoms of depression? Why am I diagnosing this psalmist as someone who's struggling with? Depression. Well, let me tell you why. First, first he is spiritually dry. Look at verses 1 and 2. We see that he's spiritually dry. When I, when I was a child, by the way, it was flu season. I was probably like in third grade or so, and I got the 24-hour stomach bug. Anybody ever had that before? And so I'm laid out on the couch. I'm the only one home. Everybody's gone out to work, out to school. Staying home on the couch. It's 2 p.m. I'm watching a Gomer Pyle rerun. <laughs> Commercials come on. And there was a, uh, a commercial, I believe, if I'm thinking right, a, a commercial for, um, oh, what is that? What are those little things you drop in the water and it fizzes and it makes your stomach feel Alka-Seltzer. up? Alka-Seltzer. All right, which doesn't sound very appetizing, but I'm laying there at like feeling like death. I'm parched. I can't keep anything down. If I take a sip of water, it comes right back up. And this Alka-Seltzer commercial comes on and there's like, there's like uh, oranges and, and lemons and, and uh, strawberries and kind of like bursting together and like water and ju- fruit juices just flying all over the place. And I was just like, oh, I want, I want that so bad. Like, I just wanted to go get some Alka-Seltzer. It looks so appealing. Have you guys ever known what it feels like to be thirsty? So in verse 1 and 2, this is how he describes himself. He describes himself as someone who's thirsty. Picture a deer panting, tongue out of the head, looking for a river, looking for something to drink. And he says, like, that's how I feel right now. My soul, he says in verse 2, is thirsty. It thirsts for God, the, the living God, which actually gives us this picture of God as this river, the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? He is dry. He has a dry soul. This is not, by the way, the thirst of the soul that is uh, uh, ignoring the need for God. 
You know, there are some souls that don't realize they're thirsty, right? There are some souls where we're drinking so much of the world, we're drinking so much sin, we don't even know that we're dying, right? Well, it's not that soul. It's not that kind of thirst. But it's also not the thirst of the satisfied soul. The soul that has just come out of a worship service and has tasted the goodness of the Lord and just wants more of that. That's the satisfied soul. It's not that kind of thirst. This is the thirst of the dry soul. Meaning he knows that he needs to go to the living water of God in order to be quenched. He knows where his hope is. He knows uh, he, he has tasted and he has seen that the Lord is good, yet he feels in this moment as if God is gone. He feels so dry. And for a lot of us who are struggling with despair, that might be the first symptom that we would say of ourselves. I just feel so dry. I feel like God is just not around. I feel like God is so distant from me. Secondly, we also see that he is emotionally drowning. He's drowning emotionally. When I was in my mid-twenties, that was really the first time I ever felt anything like depression. And I spiraled. And at the bottom of the spiral, I described the way that I was feeling as drowning. I said, I feel like I'm in the middle of the ocean, and I'm just grasping for air, gasping for air, and I'm trying to keep myself from going under, and if I let up just the tiniest bit, I'm going to sink into this ocean of despair forever. That's kind of how I felt. And I believe that's how this psalmist feels Look at verse 3. He says, My tears have been my food day and night. I mean, he is just constantly crying. He's probably lost his appetite. Maybe he's trying to eat and tears are literally mixing with his meat and he's eating his tears. He's in utter agony. Look at verse 7. Deep calls to deep, but the roar of your waterfalls, all of your breakers and your waves have gone over me. That is language of drowning at sea. He has spiraled. He has hit rock bottom. He is drowning in his emotions. Down the rabbit hole of despair. A lot of times when folks are depressed, we do all of the wrong things, right? Isolation. You know someone's depressed when you just stop seeing them. They stop coming to church. Friends invite them to go out. Now I'd rather sit at home and be isolated. We all do this. Don't look at me as if you don't as if you don't know what I'm talking about. You feel down, and the very thing you should do, like let's say being around positive people who are in love with Jesus, those are the very people I just want to 
kind of get away from right now. And you know who depressed, melancholy sort of people usually hang out with? Look, watch it on Sunday mornings, all right? You know who you are. You walk in here all melancholy, sad. You find the saddest looking person in the room, and you say, I'm going to go talk to that person. We're just going to hang out in the corner and mope around together. (laughs) We do that, don't we? And then what do we think about? All we think about are our problems. All we want to talk about is how bad things are for us right now. We can't even get anything done. Because all we want to do is talk about how bad things are for us right now. We've spiraled down this rabbit hole and our tears are our food. We're feasting on our own despair. He's spiritually dry. He's emotionally drowning. He's also socially disgraced. He's socially disgraced. Look at verse 3. Oh, these people in verse 3. All right? They say to me all the day long, what are they saying to him? Help me out. Where is your God? Where is your God? Look, there, there are people who probably have been just looking for this moment in this psalmist's life to point out and say, ha, got you. You're going to talk about God all the time. You're going to talk about your faith. And now you're in despair. Answer this question, oh, depressed person. Where is your God now? You know, this is the person who's just been waiting and watching for you to drop. Or it could even be that these are his friends, like Job's friends, who just come along with all the wrong advice. The friends who come along and say, why are you so depressed? Where is your God? You shouldn't be like this right now. You shouldn't be so so depressed. And Maybe they meant well, but the words just kind of clang in his head. And in verse 9, we see that he's even beginning to believe them. And he says, Why have you forgotten me? Where is my God? These kind of words come from both both religious people as well as irreligious people. You know, the religious types, they say, look, if you are a Christian, you should not struggle with despair. If you're a Christian, you should not struggle with any depression. Prosperity gospel preachers, they come along and they tell you, man, something's wrong with your faith. If you're in despair, something's wrong. God's not working for you. And look, some of you even tend to believe that sometimes, right? We tend to be sort of affected by those thoughts, even if we're not sitting under those thoughts. So we hear of a prominent pastor who struggles with depression, and you know what I hear one person say? They say, is he even a Christian? Listen, it is the enemies of God who ask that question. Why are you downcast? Where is your God? The enemies of God question 
Where is your God during times of despair and discouragement and depression? The religious, they say, look, if, 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 if you've got God, everything should be fine in your life. The irreligious say, ah, because you're in despair, that means God is a joke. That means there is no God. But friends, listen, the gospel says those who thirst for God, find him. And those who find God, find life. Don't listen to these frauds and counterfeits. Fourthly, we see that he is mentally discouraged. He's spiritually dry. He's emotionally drowning. He's socially disgraced. And he is mentally discouraged. Every time you ever get the 24-hour stomach bug, you always think about the way things used to be. You know what I'm talking about? Like it's 2 p.m. and you're laying on the couch and you're like, man, I used to do so much in life. I used to feel strong. I used to clean my house. You, you didn't talk about things you didn't like doing. I used to do the laundry. Oh, to just be able to clean this toilet instead of puke into it. I used to go to work. I used to laugh with my friends. And so sometimes we'll even like think, man, I'm going to just like make myself feel better by thinking about what I used to do. And then we think about that and we just feel more and more depressed. No light at the end of this 24-hour tunnel. Your friend comes in and says, you can feel better tomorrow. Oh, if you only knew, I might die. Look what the psalmist is doing here. He says, uh, in verse 4, he says, in the midst of his despair, he says, these things I remember. Now, what are these things I remember? I don't think he's talking about what has preceded verse 4. I think he's talking about what he says in verse 4. These things I remember as I pour out my soul, which means as I'm pouring out these words of despair, I'm remembering this stuff. He says how I would go about with the throng and lead them. Glad shouts. It's festival time and everybody's dressed in their festive best and there's this crowd of maybe hundreds or thousands of people and, and he's in the midst of this crowd where there's shouting and there's singing and dancing. And by the way, going to the house of God during uh, this era would have been just the most superb example of supreme delight. He's remembering the best of the best. And he says, I wasn't just with the crowd, I was leading them in the shouting and the singing and in the laughter and the joys of this festive season. But as he remembers these things, it just leads him further into his despair. It reminds him of what he currently does not have. And that's why even the memories of good times depress us during times of darkness. Why are things not right? Let me summarize for you why, thing, uh, why, why we would get depressed. 
why we would be in despair and discouraged and find ourselves in seasons of darkness. This is why. It's simply because things are not right. I mean, look around your life. Why am I depressed? Well, let's just summarize it together. It's that things are not right. Like, this is the way things should be, and this is the way things are. What is our remedy? What does the psalmist do in the midst of things not being right and finding himself in depression? I want to give you three points from verse 5 as the ultimate remedy for despair. Verse 5. Let me, let me just read verse 5 to you. Why are you cast down on my soul and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. Verse 5 is sort of the chorus of the whole song. It's repeated two more times throughout these two, cha- uh, two, two psalms. It's sort of the refrain of, of this, this song of despair. And what do we learn from it? I want to draw out these three points we can learn from verse 5. Number one, know where your hope is. Know where your hope is. You see, verse 5, what is it? It's not just the chorus of a song. Verse 5 is really a a little sermon he's preaching to himself, isn't it? And so he starts off this little sermon. It's almost as if the psalmist, in the midst of his depression, in the midst of all of these symptoms of discouragement and despair, it's almost as if he looks at his soul and he says, I've got a little sermon for you. We're going to church, O soul. And he starts off his sermon with a couple rhetorical questions. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? And maybe those aren't really rhetorical questions. Maybe those are questions that are meant to be answered. Asking our soul, let's just pause. Let's just stop for a minute, soul. And let me ask you some questions. Why are you so depressed? Why? Well, I've got a list for you. Let me list off why I'm so depressed. I didn't sleep last night. I stubbed my toe after I got up. I had a bad day. My kids are disobedient. I'm lonely. I've lost people. I've disappointed people. I've disappointed myself. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Come on, let's give some answers to the question. Everything is fading. The grass withers. I'm single and I think marriage is going to solve my problems, but I can't get married. I'm married. I thought it was going to solve my problems and it just created more problems. I'm overvalued, uh, undervalued at work. I get overlooked. I feel ugly. I never get recognized. People that I love are struggling. People are a problem. Church is filled with messed up people. I thought going to church would help everything, but I've discovered 
that the people aren't quite as perfect as I thought they were going to be. I can't stop this habit. I fall into sin over and over and over. Why are you downcast, O my soul? I think we're supposed to ask our souls that question, and I believe we're supposed to answer it. Give it an answer. Why are you so discouraged? Why are you in such darkness? Why do you feel this way? And then he begins his sermon. So that's his opener. And then he begins his three-point sermon, which every good sermon has three points. First, know where your hope is found. Where is your hope? Where are you looking for hope? Your hope is in God. So he just makes a direct statement and demands his soul to hope in God. And that changes everything, right? Because I thought my hope was in a list of sins that I had not done. I thought my hope was in various virtues that I have been able to achieve. I thought my hope was in how pious I am and how many good deeds I've done for others. Or maybe, maybe we would say, I thought my hope was in getting myself together and getting my own place. I thought my hope was changing my circumstances and getting away from this problem individual. I thought my hope was getting away from this problem job or this neighborhood and moving somewhere else. I thought my hope was in my surroundings. I thought my hope was in getting my high school diploma or getting a college degree or, or progressing in the workplace. I thought my hope was in all of these things and now you're challenging me because you're telling me that my hope is not in any of that stuff, but my hope is in God. Your soul is wrestling with this right now. Soul. Hope in God. Get it from here to here. Why is it that people in Hollywood are so depressed? Why is it that people who make it are popping antidepressants like I used to pop Smarties as a child? I'll tell you why. It's because they put their hope in making it. And now they've made it. And they've got marble floors. And they've got a big pool. And they've got a couple cars. And they see their face places. And people recognize their name. And they still feel like crap. That's why they're depressed. They put their hope in the wrong stuff. There is nothing this world can afford which would be your hope. Which could be your hope. It's impossible. So, hope in God. Know where your hope is. Secondly, secondly, know what your hope is. And what I mean by that is what we see here in in verse 5. He says, why are you cast down? He asks these questions. He then says, hope in God. And then he gives us a reasoning for that. Four, four. I shall again praise Him. I shall again 
praise Him. Which means he's remembering this stuff that he used to do. He remembers being in the shouting and the singing, the happiness, the festive season. Not just being in the crowd, but leading the crowd. He remembers the joy of the Lord. And what he's saying is this, is that stuff is not just in the past. But I will again praise him. You see, fear and guilt and shame or like a train that we get on and it drives us right into this long tunnel. And if you're someone who struggles with some claustrophobia, you're going to get into this middle of the tunnel and you're going to believe that, that this tunnel is unending. And you think to yourself, oh, the, the, the walls of the tunnel, they're caving around me. They're, 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 they're sucking me in. I remember what it was like before I went into this tunnel, how I I saw the scenery and the joy of the sunshine coming through the windows of this train. When you're in the middle of the tunnel, you just feel like that is your new norm. You feel like it, it will never end. And you also look at people who are happy and you say, oh, you just wait. Your tunnel's coming, brother. Now, we are to remind our souls that the tunnel will end. That just just as quickly as we went into the tunnel, we're going to come out. And the the sunlight of God's love and joy and peace and happiness is going to shine through the windows of our soul. And we will again praise Him. And that word praise him, that's not a, the kind of praising that a despair person, a person in despair um, would, would feel. This is a celebratory, joyful kind of word. Friends of you, my friends who are discouraged, in despair, downcast, depressed, you will again know the joy of God. And you tell your soul that. I will again praise him. This is not the end of the story. And I think there's, in a sense, there's even a a greater fulfillment in that, yes, in this life, you're going to again praise the Lord. So stop believing that the tunnel is all you got. But I believe there's also a greater fulfillment of this. As the sun sets on our life, one final night and we wake up to a whole new morning, a new day in which all despair, all depression, all darkness, all discouragement have forever been put away. And we will stand and celebrate and be together with God forever and ever and ever with all joy. In the presence of God, there is the fullness of joy. That will be our reality. When I say our, who am I referring to? I'm referring to those who have looked to Christ, trusted in His death on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, repented of their sins, said, Jesus is my everything. Forgive me. I receive that salvation. Rising again from the dead, He has given all of us who have trusted in Him the promise that we will be freed from this decay. Which means this, friends. 
your story has a good ending. And what you believe about who you are, where you are, and where you're going really does affect how you feel about today. In Christ, your story has a very good ending. Hope in God, for I will again praise Him. Thirdly, know why God is your hope. He says, my salvation and my God. As he's putting his hope in God, he calls God his salvation. That salvation is a thick word. What he's saying by by calling God our salvation, he's simply saying this. He's saying salvation comes from the outside, not from the inside. Salvation comes from God, not from Joel Kurz. You tracking with me? Salvation is a work of the Lord. Not hoping in how we feel or what we've done, but hoping in God alone. Salvation. And as the story of redemption goes on, what we discover is that Jesus Christ is our salvation. There's this word in the New Testament called justification. What does that mean? Well, justify, according to Webster's Dictionary, means to make right or to put right. Why, is there, why are we so depressed? It's because everything's messed up. Well, justify means to make right or to put right. I, I think of like on a Word document, if you guys use Word for school at all, and, and that, that little option you have, justify, what does it do to your words? It lines them all up. It gives order to your page. How is it that a Christian is justified, made right? Well, it's not in the works that we do, right? It's not in actually becoming righteous, right? Because we look at our lives as redeemed people and we say, I'm still not really righteous intrinsically. How is it that we are justified? How is it that we are made right? Well, the question or the answer that the Bible gives us is that in Jesus Christ, we are declared to be righteous. Which means you're still kind of screwed up. Let me rephrase it. You're still really screwed up. But God in Christ has declared you to be righteous. How is that possible? It's because Jesus lived the life that I should have lived. And his righteousness is, the theological word is imputed, meaning given, donated to me. So I have the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Amen? What happened to John Bunyan? I told you when he was in his 20s, John Bunyan suffered from severe depression. Let me just tell you how that story ends. John Piper, he explains Bunyan's transformation in this way. He says, 
that there was this decisive moment of triumph over despair and joylessness, an awakening, uh, this magnificent truth of imputation of Christ's righteousness. Bunyan said this. He said, one day I was passing into a field, and this sentence fell upon my soul. Thy righteousness is in heaven. And I saw with the eyes of my soul Jesus Christ at God's right hand. There, I say, was my righteousness. And his despair began to lift. The ultimate remedy for your despair and your discouragement is to know that all things have been made right in Jesus Christ and His righteousness has been imputed to you. And when you look to Him, there you see it. There is my righteousness. And because of Him, I have been declared just, right, justified. Are you in despair? Are you in the season of darkness? Listen, ask your soul this question. Why are you so downcast? Ask your soul this question. Why are you so sad? And then after, you, after your soul communicates with you a little bit, then start that sermon. Hope in God. Hope in God, not in stuff. Hope in God, not in fame. Hope in God, not in fortune. Hope in God, not in people. Hope in God, not in changing your circumstances. Hope in God, not in your job. Hope in God, not in all of your loved ones getting their act together. Hope in God. Hope in God. There is where my hope is. Listen, friends, we don't have it in us to raise our souls to life. We're going to sing this song as we close in just a minute. And there's this line in this song that simply declares, we don't have it in us to bring our souls to life. I cannot cause myself to live. I cannot cause my soul to live. That's despair. When we've just given up, we say, I can't do anything. I can't preach to my soul enough. I can't cause my soul to live. That's despair. But then here's the gospel. But Jesus died and rose again. The power of death is overthrown. My God is merciful to me and merciful in Christ alone. My righteousness is Jesus' life. My debt was paid by Jesus' death. My weary load was borne by Him, and He alone can give me rest. Yes, He alone can give me rest. Yes, He alone can give me rest. Yes, He alone can give us rest. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the fact that You are our hope in the midst of despair. I pray, God, that You have created and will create happy hearts here this morning. 
as we are reminded of this solid rock that we have in Jesus Christ. It's in His name that we pray. Amen.